Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. Good evening, everyone. Saturday night. It is going to be a blast. I'm super excited to be doing this. We are doing our War Stories episode. We're going to call it War Stories Part 1. Oh, 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 my gosh. Sorry about that. That's what happens when Noah tries to do things manually is uh, I leave VLC on repeat because... uh, you know, I like listening to music and then my intro starts all over again. But yeah, happy to be here. This is going to be a super exciting episode. I had people all week that were telling me, hey, you got to be careful about doing this War Stories thing because it's going to be a Saturday night. It's Nobody's going to know about it. And I was stupid and forgot to put it on the calendar. And, you know, of course, Chris and his infinite wisdom, like right before I'm about to go live, he's like, dude, if you're doing a show, maybe you'd want to put it on the calendar so people know. <laughs> Oops. But uh, phone lines are stacking up. And so we're going to get to your calls. And uh, I want to hear about your doesn't have to be it doesn't necessarily have to be a war story. You can call and ask questions. We'll take questions. But uh, primarily what I'm looking for is to hear from system administrators, people that do this for a living. What things have you experienced? What things have you seen? They can be funny things. They can be interesting things. I'd love to hear from you. Again, our phone number 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com if you'd like to be a part of the program. We're going to start out with uh, one of my friends, Andrew, and he is from Canada. Now, Andrew and I have been friends for a long time. We can primarily communicate over Mumble, but... Um, uh, and uh, one of these days, uh, he's going to meet me at a conference, and I'm going to get to meet him in person. But he's joining us for our War Stories episode. We're going to start with him this hour. So, Andrew from Canada, good evening. Hello, good. How are you? Hey, pretty good. So, uh, what are you? I, I just have to ask, what are you up to this Saturday night, other than uh, calling into the Ask Noah show? Uh, unfortunately, the power is out here. Uh, I was actually, I just finished my shift last night. Uh, anyway, and woke up and power is not on and I'm stumbling through the dark and anyway finally decided it's like well I'm not cooking dinner so I went out for dinner and anyway just got the update that the show was going on and thought you know great I actually have a good story for this one so are you so you're in the middle of a war story we have a live war story is that what you're telling me no no I no not right now <laughs> right now I'm just like the power is out here so anyway I just went out grabbed dinner and you know I'm done I'm luckily I'm done for this week I'm back in tomorrow though Okay. <laughs> All right. So, well, tell me, tell me, tell me the story. What's going on? What's your, what's the most interesting or funny thing you've seen? Well, one of the one of the most interesting ones that I ever saw was when I was, uh, it was I had just kind of uh, started working full time. I had been working on contract for the company that I currently work for now, and I had just come full time. And they had brought in a new patching solution because uh, currently we have a mixed environment. So you know, there's Windows, Linux, AIX. You know, you name it, mm-hmm. it's probably somewhere in our mix. Uh, anyway, so we needed a patching solution to cover this because we were manually patching things by hand, and it was a nightmare when you have over, you know, 700 servers just in some data centers, never mind, you know, across the whole company. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we brought in, and we went and we got a, we bought a t- uh, technology from IBM that they had bought from someone else, and anyway, it's called IBM Big Fix. Anyway... It was wonderful when we first started out using it, and, you know, the IBM guys were great. They walked us through a bunch of stuff, and anyway, we started using it. Well, one day, my boss and someone from another team were working on a small thing to try and automate some uh, some tasks through Big Fix. Anyway, because uh, it's a little bit more annoying to go into, uh, to go into extra share plans across different users in the application... They went and there's an export function. You can export a plan and then import it in on the other person's machine. So they did that. They essentially emailed the plan over. Uh, but one thing that's not really documented in Big Fix at all, and another feature that, once again, not documented in Big Fix, period. In fact, mm-hmm. it had never come up with Big Fix before, uh, was that, unfortunately, Big Fix goes and when you talk about computers, they look at it as targets. 
anyway, so when it goes and you export a plan for targets, it loses kind of its perspective on who that target, what that plan applies to. And when you import a plan, it assumes that it's applying to everything. And it, when the way that we had it set up, uh, it automatically starts applying certain tasks as you know the, the as you import it type thing. Oh, geez. Supposedly inert tasks. Well, one of these tasks happened to be you know uh, restart the server. So <laughs> of course my boss walks over. My boss walks over to the other team and says, "Okay, import it." Uh, so he logs in with his account and goes and logs in, imports the plan. Immediately, and I didn't know this at the time, so this is all happening. I know nothing. I'm sitting in my office working on stuff, and all of a sudden, my computer reboots. And I thought, you know, darn it, Ian, you know, uh, why did you go? <laughs> because he's done this before. We're, we're yeah. testing features in Big Fix. He'll do it to just our computers, so it doesn't hurt anything. And I thought, darn it, why didn't you tell me? I just lost a whole lot of work there. Anyway, and then, you know, of course, I look over and someone in the office beside me, they kind of chuckle and thought, ha, 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 you know, that's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, all of a sudden, his computer reboots and the monitors above the <laughs> reboot. I thought, ha, 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 not so funny now. Anyway, so anyway, and then, you know, we're sitting there and then all of a sudden we start hearing servers reboot in the server room, like the fans kick up, like yeah. rebooting. And all I thought was, oh, no, you know, like this is not something that happened. You know, never would our computers pass at the same time as the servers. Mm-hmm. So I immediately knew something was wrong. All of a sudden, email drops out. All internal services drop out. What had happened was it immediately executed the plan, restarted every single server that was in Big Fix, which is everything across three different continents. You know, it, it was really, everything went down completely. Wow. Sudden, I, my computer was the first to go down. So I immediately came back up, and I was just in time before the relays for Big Fix had gone down. And all I see is there's one plan. It's run by my boss, and it says, applicable computers, every single computer in the company. And I'll wow. Say, oh, no. That, that, that can't be right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, anyway, then the server goes down. We can't even you know, bring anything back online because, believe it or not, Big Fix goes and does the same patching process to itself. Uh, oh, okay. Well, Anyway, so everything went down. Uh, anyway, it, all of a sudden, I get one text message, and to, it was a huge mass text message to everyone in the company that says, call in to the off-site war room that we pay for. So mm-hmm. anyway, everyone calls in, and basically everyone is just confused and saying what happened. And I'm in there, and I kind of know what happened. I'm just like, oh, what, what do I say? Anyway, and then I hear my boss kind of pipe up and says, I think I know what happened. Anyway, the only good thing that came out of that was we managed to bring every server in the company back up and working in less than 45 minutes. Wow. But, how many, and how many servers anyway, do you have? Yeah. Well, probably close to about 3,000. Wow. So you guys you, you guys have a, a serious con- management control over that infrastructure that, I mean, you guys really know what, what, what's going on. You have your hands, you know, your hands in the soup, Yeah, so well, we kind of... Unfortunately, we kind of have to just because we have the different clients that we have. We have some clients that are hospitals. We have some that are government, you know, contracts, and we have some that are private contracts, and we have internal uh, applications that we do to make our own funding. And yeah. So, are all these all these servers in Canada, or are they spread out all over the world? So, there's some in Canada, like I said, three continents. So, there's some in Canada, there's some in mainland Europe, and there's some in Australia. Wow. So, that's that's incredible. All, all the, <laughs> now you are you are an advocate, a proponent of Linux. So I guess while I have you on the phone, just if you don't mind me picking your brain for a second, just tell me. So why is it that yep. you push so hard to get people to use Linux to run Linux? You know, particularly as it relates to to server any sort of critical infrastructure. Absolutely. So in general, my opinion is is that when you have the option of open source, and when you can go and you can use something as advanced and that has so many, as many features as Linux does, it just doesn't make sense to choose anything else, really, in my opinion, anyway. You know, if you have the choice of running something on Linux, it's just, I can guarantee, like, from my own experience, I, main, I maintain, personally, a number of network, well, network uh, operating systems, so, you know, Cisco, iOS, stuff like that. I also deal with AIX, Windows, and Linux. And I can tell you right now, the thing that causes 
like next to no problems is Linux every single time. The patching process is easier. Like everything about it just is leagues ahead of anything yeah. else when it comes to administration. So, yeah, yeah. It re- you know, know it really people. Some people point to Windows and say, well, look at all the GUIs and it's really simple and, you know, you don't need a high skill set to be able to have people work on it. But, you know, the problem is, is that I actually find there's actually a higher skill set, but it's a different kind of skill set. It's memorization with Windows because, sure, you know where that feature is, but for me anyway, I can remember or I can have it written down in some documentation. Oh, it's just this command and these are what these flags do. In Windows, it's like, well, go through these menus and hope to, hope, hope to good God that someone is going to figure that out type thing and be able to find where that, that menu is because nine times out of 10, you get someone from an application team or some other team in the company contacts you and they just have a screen type thing and say, this part of my application that's part of windows isn't working. And you know, the first thing you say is, well, I don't know exactly where that is. You know, windows has a thousand different menus like that. And you know, give me some information. Well, with Linux, they, you, you know, they say this process is not working, and usually it's basic, you know, you know, straight up command. It's like I can work with that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. We have a sign, and I didn't make the sign. There's somebody else in the in the company bought it and put it up, and I just think it's funny every time I see it. But it says, "Those who can't administrate Linux teach Linux. Those who can't teach Linux administrate Windows. Those who can't teach or administrate Windows teach Windows." <laughs> I've always thought that was kind of funny. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of great. Well, thanks a lot, Andrew, for yeah. the call. I, I really appreciate you joining us and being a part of the War Stories episodes. Again, one 855 That's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Make your voice heard. Become part of the program. Um, we're going to go to Brandon in Alaska. A quick reminder, uh, there I see a lot of people that uh, aren't uh, usually on the show. Just a reminder, we are uh, we are live on the air at 88.3 in Grand Forks. And as part of that, we need to keep the language clean, so please keep it family-friendly. We'll go, go to Brandon in Alaska. At least I think that's the abbreviation AK. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, thanks for taking my call. So I understand that you've switched somebody. That's my favorite kind of war stories, you know. Uh, no, it's actually a war story about a, a stack of switches. Oh, okay. A stack of switches. I misunderstood. Okay. All right. T- tell me about it. That's Okay. So, um, I administrate a uh, school network, public school network, and we have, uh, three business labs and right after school started, one of them would not get DHCP, uh, the whole lab, none of them. And I'm in there and I'm looking, trying to figure out none of it makes sense. And finally I just walked to the closet and that whole stack Every light on that switch is blinking in unison. And I thought, aha, there's a network loop somewhere. So I run back to my desk and I shell into it. Um, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the show Neighbors Command. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pretty helpful tool because if it sees its own IP on a port, you know that port is, uh, is plugged into itself. So something's going on. And uh, I found it. And it turns out we had a new business teacher that year. And she found some cables she thought had to be plugged in and she caused it. So I was like, okay, that's it. That's the fix. But the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why didn't the spending pre-policy kick that port off? Right. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. So, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting uh, SNMP errors off my network monitoring stuff all over on this default VLAN, right? Switches are just going offline and coming back up randomly. I'm thinking, what is going on? Well, I go back in there, I go back to my source, and every light in that stack on every switch are blanking in use. And I'm thinking, what is going on? I go back. I don't see any loops. I said, all right, I'm going to completely power down the switch and power it back up. Uh So I do that. Everything's blinking pretty nice. I'm like, all right, I'm golden. So I walk back, and next thing I know, I start getting emails. Switches on that default VLAN are going down. People are calling me saying, I can't get on the Internet. Mm -hmm. So I said, something's going to be going on. So I keep digging, and we we pay for support from Interaces. I'm not extremely bought out of Interaces. I was like, well, I'm going to have to call support and see what's going on. This is just freaking me out. And he finally showed me a command, which goes back to the previous guy. You know, sometimes commands are a lot more powerful than anything a GUI is going to tell you. Right. He showed me how I can look. And on the fourth switch in the stack, the uh, the uh, processor fan had failed. Now, I don't know what that was causing, but it was just causing that whole stack to freak out. Huh. Racked a new one. Boom. We're done. A fan. Oh, I, I there's one that. more story for you. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Let, I want to go. I want to step through this a little bit. So first, what brand of switch did we? I assume Cisco. 
Uh, no, they're in terraces. Oh, they're they're. Oh, yeah, you told me. Yeah, that's uh, right. You said that. Extreme networks bottom out. Yep, yep. You told me that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so okay, and and so for those of you who don't know what a network loop is, <clears throat> network loop. When you take if <clears throat> when you take a, a the way a well, how far do I want to explain this? It basically. Each, uh, unlike a hub, uh, a switch keeps track of each individual MAC address on each switch port. And so when a packet is destined for a specific uh, uh, switch port, then or a, a specific MAC address, then it sends it out that specific switch port. Well, if you have if you have one device on. Two, uh, on on two different switch ports, then it's then it, it it basically it creates a loop, and those those packages go around in circles, and you can crash a switch. Now we have spanning tree protocol or STP that on any managed switch that should stop a network loop, so it won't take your switch offline. Um, but sometimes, what most of the time, when I see a network loop on a net, network, what I see happening is somebody goes and buys like a fifteen twenty dollar dumb switch from Office Max or Best Buy, and they just think, well, I'm going to plug my laptop in here. And they plug that in, and then oh, John in the next office over. Well, he needs to plug it. Well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just string off of this dumb switch over here, and then he'll plug in. And eventually, you get this little rogue network going on that nobody really knows about or is maintaining or thinking about. And someday, somebody unplugs a bunch of things. They move a desk around. They go to plug it back in, and you wind up plugging the same, you know, network cable into two different ports. That's where I've seen it happen most often. Um, but uh, but yeah, it is interesting. Did you ever figure out why Spanning Tree didn't uh, didn't prevent that from from being a problem? I guess it was just because the uh, processor fan had failed on that one switch in the stack, and I guess it was just causing it to freak out. That yeah, that has. And maybe it was flooding the whole stack with too much traffic. Yeah, yeah, it had to be what it was because all I know is, and the way I also went in there and done it was, I said, all right, if I unplug the power from this switch in the stack, everything goes back to normal. I know that command and that log is not lying to me. Sure enough, as soon as I unplug that switch in that stack, everything on that VLAN just went quiet and everything was fine. Huh. And then, of course, they shipped us. We have we have next day drop shipment on them uh, with our service. So I shipped sure. me another one. I racked it. Good to go. You're happy with them? Have you used HP or Cisco? Uh, I haven't. Now, I did work for someone that did have some HPs. I kind of admin a little bit. But uh, like I said, in Terraces, I don't think... Extreme networks bottom out, so a lot of our new switches that we have uh, are extreme now. They yeah. were in terraces, but in terraces they used to they call the secure stack brand. But as far as uh, the commands, they are a lot familiar. If you're familiar with Cisco commands, all the commands are the same or the on the uh, the secure stack. Right. Um, they're a little bit simplified on the on the new extreme on the extreme switches, but I like them. You know, they have NetSite, which runs on Ubuntu, which is your monitoring program that comes with them when you buy. Uh, the package that our school has bought. Uh, sure. The guy previous with me, I just kind of inherited it all. But, uh, but yeah, and that site runs on it. It, uh, it monitors everything. And out of that, you can monitor anything that has SNMP, you can monitor with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess your version would be like, like Nagios or something like that. It's kind of familiar to that. Yep. yep. Um, or ping, you know, I also use it to keep no servers go down or whatever. Uh, but support's phenomenal. When you call, in fact, I've called for some problems with the net site software. And I don't mind calling to a, an actual engineer that knows what he's doing. We got the programmer on the phone that wrote that feature, and we will step through it and we fixed it. And there's not very many, you know, supports that I've experienced that that happens. Yeah, actually, so it's interesting. I uh, have you ever heard of Zabbix? No, I haven't. It's a open source network monitoring system that you install, and I have a good friend of mine is a, is a real big proponent of it, and uh, I'm, we're trying to get him on the show to talk about it sometimes. I've, I've kind of held off on ever talking about Zabbix. We use Zabbix all over the place. It's a really fantastic uh, platform, but yeah, I uh, network loops are so interesting. The last time I, I dealt with the network loop was just a couple months ago. Uh, they had a, this like game adapter, and they were turning Wi-Fi into wired networks. And when you first set the thing up, you connect it to the wired network, and then you log into it, the web interface, and you tell it, this is the SSID I want to use, here's the password, all that jazz. And um, when we were doing that, is, as soon as it connected to the access point, I don't know how why they designed this thing the way they did, but <clears throat> it created a network loop because it was connected to the Wi-Fi access point and it was con- plugged in, and it, the, the network just totally took a tank. And it was funny because... Uh, we, I was, I was personally not aware that we were setting this thing up. It's a, it's a larger facility, and I, there was two guys working on that particular project. I think they were connecting like a smart display thing, and they needed that game adapter. And um, 
I was in a completely separate part of the building, and I was working on uh, Wi-Fi. And so I was, we were installing, they had an on-site uni Unify controller that we were setting up, uh, and then we were putting access points in. And I was working on the controller, and I was like, there's something wrong with this controller. Like, it should not this be this, you know, unresponsive. And, 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 you know, one of the other guys that's with me is like, well, you know, we got a lot of access points. I probably got 250 access points here. And I'm like, dude, we've done bigger installs, and I've not had the access point act this laggy. And, like, it was to the point that, like, I would try and make a change, and then the whole web page would time out. I'm like, this controller has to be faulty. we got to go get a different box or something. And trying to set it up and trying to figure it out. And what was weird is every time we take it out of production, and we take it out to the into our – we have a little uh, – trailer thing that we have like a little lab set up in and take it out there plug it in out there that worked just fine and bring it back in and stop working i was like jeez what is going on and then uh, finally we figured out after enough people had been saying something is definitely wrong we can't get on the internet our phones aren't working this isn't working that's not working oh oh yeah this is stupid little 45 dollar neck gear box that you know they bought or whatever yeah it was interesting well cool story brandon thanks for joining us i appreciate it again 1-855-450-NOAA it's one 855 The email live at com. Would love to hear from you on our special War Stories episode here Saturday night. Neil is calling from Connecticut. Hey, Neil, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. You know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, quietish, very dark Saturday uh, afternoon, evening thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I... I, unlike the previous two people, I don't really have a war story related to servers, but I think you might like my desktop user war oh, story. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Uh, so, um, a couple, a few years back, I was at a um, at a hackathon. Uh, my company, the company I work for, I, I don't have a company, but the company I work for sponsors a hackathon in Rochester called BrickHack. And uh, the first time I, it's been the ha first time I ever went to Hackathon and the Fedora people were also there because uh, the Fedora um, lead community guy at the time, Remy the Cosmaker, um, was an RIT alum. And he also had a boot set up. And so they had Fedora and we had Mozilla people there and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we wound up doing during this uh, during the Hackathon was that when we weren't helping people with their problems, we were helping people switch to Linux on their computers. Excellent. And one guy brought his MacBook. <laughs> <laughs> so this turned into uh, this turned into like probably the most interesting switching effort that has ever happened because pretty much anything I could possibly think of went wrong that that time. So the first well, thing that happened was yeah, well yeah yeah. Well, this is also the reason why I event I wound up converting one of my own MacBooks to Linux just to try to hammer out these problems because like holy wow there was just so many issues so the first thing that's that happened was like we got we flashed the usb stick from his macbook and it turned out that uh the usb stick wouldn't boot because as it turns out mac os has two types of disk devices there's a raw disk device and a non-raw one and the one that all the documentation refers you to is the not raw device and if you if you use DD to the not raw device, it will filter out parts of what you are supposed to write to the disk. Huh. So as it turned out, that destroyed the hybrid boot that was on the ISO when it was being imaged onto the flash drive. Mm -hmm. So the first couple of times we were going crazy trying to figure out why the the, the bloody stick wasn't actually showing up yeah. um, in the, in the macOS boot menu. And then I just said... Oh, well, and then grabbed my own laptop, and then I actually mounted the flash drive into a virtual machine running Fedora, and then used the Fedora Media Writer to actually write it, because I was like, I know this works, this should bloody well work, and then it, I put it back in, and yes, this time it showed up, the lovely little Fedora logo showed up, and said Fedora, you know, uh, and we booted into it, and the second thing that went wrong was that the graphics didn't initialize correctly. Oh, no, so you couldn't see anything. Mac was new enough. Oh, no, it was worse than that. It was so out of focus. So, like, the, initially it would show up and the splash would come up and every, we'd just see the big Fedora logo as it coming in through the Plymouth screen. And then when it booted into the graphical environment, we only saw, like, the upper top left fourth of the desktop, which meant I was basically driving blind a little bit. Uh, so that was... So using some 
mumbo where I just remembered the key combination to open up the terminal by hand. Uh, I then just used XRander to forcibly resize the screen to a low mm-hmm. enough resolution that whatever it thought the display was would fit the whole screen. And then from there, it was so everything was so cramped um, running through the installer. If you've ever done Anaconda on Modern Fedora, you'll note yep. that it it's actually really spaced out. Yep. So when you force it to be cramped into a small display view, you can't read anything at all. It's just like, oh, you have to work from memory <laughs> because you yep. can't read anything because all the elements are squished. Yep. And so we went through this, and I and because like the guy was there looking like, well, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, and I said, oh, don't worry. I got this. I've done this like hundreds of times. Just tell me what you want, and I'll just tab through everything and enter it. So this is where I was like, I have done so many Anaconda installs that I actually memorized the tab order to access every element by keyboard. You know, it's interesting, that, it's interesting that you're actually able to do that because I could have done that in the old Anaconda. I'm not sure I could tab my way through the new one. It's actually not. It's actually less than half the number of tabs of the old Anaconda, but it's a little sad that I know exactly how many tabs I needed when I mess up that I have to hit the exact number of tabs to do it again <laughs> because that means I've done this too much. Well, or, or just enough, I guess. I suppose so, but... Uh, but this also means I've done with I've dealt with a lot of broken computers, so that's that's also probably not necessarily the greatest thing in the world. But I got through and tapped through it and basically typed blind. And when we got to the password field, I told him, "Look, just type one character at a time, very slowly. I don't want to know it. Just type it." And he's like, "Okay." And he just and for the first time in years, I see somebody hunt and peck on the keyboard to make sure they press the right buttons once and only once. You know, I might have set the password to something and, like uh, like uh, start one two three or my password or something until we got into the into the machine and then we could uh, figure out what was going on and 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 then switch it maybe lock it down. You know, you're you're right, but this was like two in the morning and my brain was not fully working. <laughs> I've been there, man. I've been there. <laughs> ASDFJKL semicolon. That that would have been my password that night. That's cool, man. And but I mean, so the yeah, guy if it was me. I went to. Sorry, the guy is still on Linux. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So, like, the end result was, like, we actually got it all working. But, like, after we got through the install part and we rebooted, the display came up correctly, which made me go, what? Why? Why did this work the first time? Um, but, like, no sound, no networking, no audio. Uh, no yeah. audio and no networking was a kind of a pain. So then we reflashed said flash drive again. This time we turned it back into a normal, like, read-write disk. And I took it to my laptop and we typed in commands to figure out, okay, this is the weird Broadcom device that we need. This is the weird NVIDIA driver we want to make sure that the 3D stuff works. This is the weird settings file that we need to make the audio work. And we copied it over, installed everything. And thank goodness that DNF actually lets you do local packages and still dependency resolve because then I could figure out the list. And I went back to my 2006 days where I took the dependency resolve list, wrote it to the file, copied it to the flash drive, took it to my computer, went through and downloaded the RPM oh. back on the flash drive oh. and then moved back to the computer. You 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 are giving I you are giving me PTSD like I can't even begin to describe, man. So this was back and forth, back and forth. I think this was like 30 minutes of like manually dependency resolving through the whole chain. And the reason we had to do it manually was because I didn't have a machine set up that was just straight up clean that I could say DNF download resolve, give me all the dependencies at once because his computer was different from mine. So there was no way I was going to get exactly the same uh, stuff. And if I installed it myself, I'd actually probably break my computer. Yeah. <laughs> so we did it one by one. And after like 30 minutes, we're like, Phew, everything's actually installed. We got the ACMOD package. We got RPM fusion turned on. We got the codex going, we got audio working, we got the display working and networking is working. And I did a couple of tweaks here to make the power management better. And after about 40 minutes or so, he was completely set up and actually just, he moved all of his stuff over from his, uh, from his Mac OS side onto the Linux side. And it was able to complete his project and be able to demonstrate it, which I was really happy about. But 
man, that was probably the worst switching experience I've had since the days I was on Ubuntu in like the early 2000s when wireless just didn't work. And like you just couldn't expect things to work and you had to do things by hand. I had flashbacks the entire time doing that. Yeah, so but I'm what glad I did it and he didn't because well, so he, one, one he ha- had one, a decent experience and I didn't. One has to ask, did you consider at any point in time like maybe we should use a different uh maybe we should use a different distro here to see see if something works better out of the box? Uh so we tried uh so I actually had a bunch of different distributions. Like I tried a uh, uh, we had a tumbleweed thing. Uh, there was no way we were doing Arch because there's more brain power required than was going to be available during that part of the t- night. Um, and we also tried Ubuntu, but Ubuntu would not boot um, and because something was wrong with the way that it set up the EFI. OpenSUSE worked, but, uh, but it actually got hung trying to load Yast, which was weird. Uh, and so if we can't actually install, that's not helpful. And I'm not making the guy like work from a flash drive because nothing gets saved. Yeah, well, um, there's more, and, yeah, and the bandwidth is limited, and you're going over USB. There's there's a couple of reasons not to do it that way. <laughs> yes, uh, there were, and and basically, I I had to work with what I had on hand because the Wi-Fi was pretty bad. So, and I and I was actually doing all the downloads of all the packages from a hotspot device because that's how bad the Wi-Fi was. Yeah. I was using my own personal bandwidth that I don't normally use to make this happen. So you 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 contributed to 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 the uh, to the eventual switch of a Linux user, and that guy he's still using Linux today. Oh yeah, no, like he joined the RIT um, Free and Open Source Software Group, and like he's actually I think he's working with one of the people that works on the RIT Fedora Remix that they have, uh, uh, Tiger OS. That's a Fedora Remix that's customized for people to get introduced into Linux and do uh, do all kinds of interesting things. Uh, you know, uh, with the Fedora system. Uh, so like he actually became a really enthusiastic user of Linux because he was surprised at how quick it was possible to make something that was basically common wisdom is that doesn't work with anything, but Mac OS actually work really well with a different operating system and be able to do things that he could never have thought were possible before. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the power of Linux, and you know, it's it's really interesting because what you see, Neil, and I thank you very much for the call. What you see is you find that the, there are these people that you give that you give a little bit of your time and a little bit of your effort. In your case, a lot of bit of your time and a lot of bit of your effort, and you you legitimately make actual Linux users out of these people because you know they then start giving back to the community and and kind of what you described. This this guy gets like super involved in this stuff and and whatnot. Um, it 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 is it's really it's really a cool thing and i actually saw this happen when i was uh doing some video editing with a with some gentlemen from the university of north dakota and those guys we had them and we we taught them how to do just a couple of things and it just it took off like wildfire and it was it was really incredible to kind of watch now how they're giving back to the community and that's what you see uh when you start getting people in, you know interested and involved in the linux uh, family as we'll call it. Again, one 450 noaa That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. We're taking your war stories this hour, talking about what you guys have seen in the field, what you guys are doing, uh, and we'd love to talk with you. Architect is calling from Texas. Hey, Architect, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, nice to be talking to you again. Same, sir. Um, so, uh, for the war stories, uh, uh I figured one thing that'd be really fun to talk about is uh, a recent project that's come up at work where we're uh, migrating our firewalls from uh, Juniper uh, SSGs to uh, OpenBSD uh, PF boxes. Okay. Um, but we have a, uh, a web server that's managing a allowed list hosted on CentOS in order to... Uh, actually effectively prototype the new solution, we need to have a test box running that same application uh, to manage the, uh, the firewall tables. Um, so where this got tricky is I can't have the, uh, the test boxes on the, the production network, obviously, but um, I need to have a identical replica. Fortunately, they're all on, uh, well, Semi-fortunately, they're on uh, VMware hosts, so um, I can clone the VM, but the VM doesn't have access to the right test network. Um, so then I, I, I DD'd the whole 
image to a flash drive. And me being relatively familiar with how these systems work, I figured, you know, I could just deviate to a, a raw disk and be fine. Because I took a, a direct image of the disk, yeah. put it on a, an intermediate disk, and put it on an, a, a hard drive on an actual machine. Right. How would that not work? Well, imagine my surprise when System D uh, refuses to actually do the thing. Um, I, I still, to, to this day, have absolutely no idea why it will not boot. It gets stuck in the init ramifest and hangs. I left it overnight one day, came back uh, to see System D saying it's trying to mount the root of us for 15 hours, won't drop to the shell, won't let me interrupt it. Nothing. <clears throat> so wow. I tried a few different things. Um, so I I went and grabbed an actual CentOS ISO, went through Anaconda, and I've got to say I hate graphical installers. Just put it all in, in curses, and everyone will be happy. Yeah. Um. So I got a CentOS box, and um, I tried to CP dupe everything from the uh, the. Um, the cloned VM to the new install. But, funnily enough, that seems to break System D too. And after rebooting with uh, a cloned uh, file system on a fresh install, I run into a similar issue where it just refuses to boot. Wow. Explainable reason because if you mount the uh, the file system from a live image and intrude in uh, journal CTL and most of the system CTL commands refuse to run. It realizes it's an intrude and says uh, exiting. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you fix it? What'd you do? Well, uh, my first uh, course of action was to install Dragonfly BSD and. Uh, <laughs> And that worked reasonably well. Okay. Except for uh, the application stack that our developers created uh, relies on Linux a little bit too much. So Yeah, it's, it um, turns out to be a pretty common problem when you're using BSD. <laughs> There's too many things that don't work on it. Well, I mean, most things actually work better than I've experienced in Linux. It's just that sometimes uh, people expect uh, libc to be there or... Uh, or libsystemd, and it falls apart for no real reason. Or, how, uh, how, how, okay, or but I, all I, your scripts to bin batch. I, I have to ask though: <laughs> how how many of those things in BSD work because of work and stuff that has been done on Linux, and then that stuff gets carried over to BSD? And I'm not I'm not bragging on BSD. I mean, that's if it works, it works. I mean, who cares, right? But I'm just saying, like, isn't isn't it because of a lot of the work that's been done on the Linux side that we that you have some of those things working on BSD? I mean, a few things, but um, uh, the the main one that I can think of right now is uh, just the uh, the graphics stack. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. But uh, so but allowing you, me to to use it as a uh, a desktop is great. But you did eventually but, once you once you once you got BSD on there, then things started to look up. Initially, yeah, um, but. Uh, like I said, it, it had too many Linux-specific dependencies, so uh, we we finally got it working after spending about three days just doing like AB comparisons with the uh, the Apache configs and uh, uh, forcing the uh, the new box to run through a list of all the installed programs on the uh, the clone box. Um, just took forever for. Absolutely no real reason, and I know that some people love System D, but it, it's absolutely useless. They can't actually let you bail out of the uh, the boot into the init shell, so that you can fix the darn system, or even tell you why it it can't boot. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and then good. <laughs> and then on top of that, SE Linux was uh, was a lot of fun. Setting up for a web server. Did you did you get uh, did you eventually get the system to work though? 
yeah, it's it's working now. I, I disabled uh, SE Linux because um, it wouldn't tell me that um, uh, with Apache uh, and journal CTL, it wouldn't tell me that SE Linux was blocking it from reading or writing to a directory. Sure. Um, like, for example, my uh, my SSL certs. I don't know why a web server would ever need to read SSL certs. Um, but, yeah. yeah, no, that's that definitely that sounds that sounds like a heyday, man. I, and you know, here's the thing about System D, and uh, you know, and I thank you for the call. It's I see it from both sides. On one hand, I think that we have seen servers go from minutes and minutes and minutes to boot down to mere seconds. And when you are working in enterprise, that is just that is key. And so, from that perspective, I really really like System D. On the other hand, I'd be the first to admit that I think that a large reason of why System D was adopted so quickly was because we had a really big company that really wanted to see system D released in their next enterprise version and so it kind of it kind of went out I'm gonna I, I'm so sorry to the other people that are waiting in in line I'm gonna jump ahead because it looks like there's a gentleman calling from Germany and uh, I, I you know I want to take get to those international calls so they're not sitting on hold very long so we're gonna jump ahead to Surgent hey Surgent welcome to the Ask Noah show hi hi how can we help um well uh, this is from a few years ago uh, so this was from whenever I first got introduced to Unix at work. We had a database server with a ZFS for video feed, and our our Solera server root password had expired, and we couldn't log in after the password expired. Hmm. We're dead in the water. We didn't really have any backups to the server at that point. So I knew someone who I worked with he was like a, a Unix guru and somehow he fixed it within a couple of hours, like right before the commander had to be informed. And, uh, I was wondering if you had any idea how to do that in the future. Yeah. So how, how did he reset that password without previously knowing it? Right. Yeah. So there are, by the way, I have to ask, am I pronouncing that right? Is it surgent? Sergeant. Sergeant. Okay. Uh, I'm in the Air Force. Oh, well, thank you very much for your service. I appreciate it. Um, so we, th there are five different levels that Linux can run in. There is uh, level one, two, three, four, and five. Now, level, level, we'll start at the top and work our way down. Level five is the graphical runtime environment. That's usually what Linux is, is running in if you're running it on some sort of a desktop or if you have a server that has a desktop uh, graphical interface. That's run level five. Run level four is a placeholder, so it's not really used. Run level three is a gra is a text-based environment with networking prompts. So that's probably 95% of your servers are running in run level three. Run level two is a placeholder. And then run level one is what we call single user mode. It's it doesn't it doesn't uh, do any authentication. It's only the single user that can be logged in. And that single user is in fact root. Because that single user is root, you have the ability to reset a password. You can execute any command you want, including the PASSWD command, which will allow you to reset a password for any user up to and including the root password. Uh, there also is run level zero, which is power off and run level uh, uh, six, which will, which will restart the, the computer. So, But um, what that gentleman likely did is upon boot up when you get into grub and you see the little boot menu you can hold down the uh you can you can wait till you get to the menu select go over highlight whatever the boot entry that you want to boot is and you'll press the e key that will edit the uh boot parameters <clears throat> you can go to the end of those parameters and add the number one and then press enter or sometimes it'll tell you at the bottom it'll say you know depending on the distribution press you know control b to boot or f10 to boot and that will boot the system into run level one if you're run level one you're you're, you're root then you can go ahead and execute the password pa or command passwd uh press enter and you can reset the password for root or you can run the the command passwd space and then the username and you can reset the password for any user does that answer your question absolutely yeah thank you. yeah thank you for the call i appreciate it we also we really appreciate your service thanks for giving us a call from germany uh, we'll go to Michael from Alabama. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, thank you. Hey. 
Uh, so my worst war story is twofold. It starts bad and ends good. Okay. Uh, so the the war story is that I was trying. It's 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 a system administration thing, but also mostly like sales for system administration. Mm-hmm. I was trying to convince a company to hire me to transition them from Windows to Linux, and they were using XP. And they're using XP in every every machine throughout, even their servers. So I was going to try to transition them in a way where I create a server that's Linux powered. That provides all of the the infrastructure, and then individual machines that are Linux powered but have Windows virtual machines, so the people who want to continue to use Linux, I mean, to continue to use Windows, can do so mm-hmm. without having to worry about massive crashes, so you get snapshots and all that good stuff. Sure. So I I spend about a month talking to them about this. They all sound like they're really interested, and. About a couple weeks later, they all decide that they're not going to change it, and oh, they're just going to keep using it. Uh, I keep in touch with the company because that's the that's the war story part. The good part is that one of the owners of the company was outvoted, but was super into Linux, the my pitch, and wanted to learn more about it. So I started talking to him about it as far as using it as a desktop, and then at at that point, about a couple months later, he decides to, you know, go all in on, on Linux. And he will, he constantly uses his desktop for his, his work desktop and his uh, home desktop is all Linux. And the the funny part is that every couple weeks or so, he'll either call me or send me a text message that says something like, server's down. And it's usually just, it's basically <laughs> just like the same thing they're dealing with every single time. So uh-huh. he just constantly, is it's just to let... It's just to let me know that uh, he's still dealing with this problem. Sure, but it's 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 great because they they he told me that they hired a company that did that was going to do the same thing that I suggested with Windows, and they they have downtime so much that he said I only send you a message every once every once in a while because it happens every day and I don't want to annoy you. Jeez. That's you know, it, it's it's funny because you you find that you'll have clients, and I don't know if you've dealt with this, Michael. I, I have dealt with this that you have clients that you'll make a recommendation, they don't follow it, and then you're kind of happy because things continue to break and you can continue to build them, and it's guilt free billing because you know that you you gave them the option, you told them how they could avoid this, and they just didn't listen. Right. In this case, uh, like they didn't want to do it at all, and I they hired another company to do the transition they did later, but I was still doing like individual maintenance for their, their workstations before they decided to do that because they didn't want to take the full switch. But the reason I forgot to give that, the reason that they gave me that they didn't do the switch was because they, they themselves did a security and analysis for their risk. Oh yeah. They were not at risk while using XP. And Mm -hmm. when I talked to their IT department, I found out that their IT department, their in-house IT department, is mm-hmm. one person. Yeah, and it's probably the brother of uh, of the you know the vice president or whatever. And and his nephew needed a job, and his nephew's he's pretty good with those. Pu- <laughs> he got a pewter from Christmas, and he's pretty good with those pewters. So we should hire him to be the director of of, of network security. Yeah, uh, you know you run into yeah, that, pretty and, much. It, and, and it's a pain. So when you go into these clients and you start talking to them. How much do you actually push? Like I, I, I struggle with that, and I have people that 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 talk to me, and they're like, "How much do you actually push to to move them towards a Linux-based solution, a secure solution, a modern, updated solution?" And how much do you just say, "Well, listen, I gave you the information. You don't want to listen? Then have at it, Haas." Well, I mean, I push until they give me the like. If they're if they're even considering, if they if they claim that they're considering it, I will continue to push. Okay. If they do at some point decide to like just say straight up, no, we're not going to do it, I'll let it go and not force it on them. But what the reason, this particular case, the reason why I stopped uh, pushing as much as I normally would is because the, the owner of the company, well, one of the owners, when he wanted to switch and he wanted to learn more, I was more interested in teaching him and stuff like that. So yeah. it didn't really bother me. And he was also like kind of, pay, he was paying me like consulting stuff to, set it all up for him so i mean he didn't do the, any of the like distro installation or anything i said i set everything up for him and then every once in a while he'll say something like he had to use a windows computer like this this today or something and he'll send me like a, like a frowny face or something 
And it's he's at one point he started like sending a message like, I can't believe we still use Windows. And it's like, eh? <laughs> well, I can understand some people not wanting to leave leave Windows because they're familiar with it or something, but not wanting to leave um, XP is a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and especially today. And you know, I, w- I was talking just the other uh, c- a couple episodes. I was talking about how we uh, actually worked for a company. We had we put some ATMs. And those ATMs were using uh, XP embedded. And I just, these are brand new machines. I'm like, holy cow, you guys. I mean, seriously, I understand there's going to be some money involved to switch to a different embedded operating system. But my gosh, I mean, holy cow. Uh, it just seems ridiculous to be on XP. And I tell you what, I, Redbook prediction right now, the amount of people that are sticking hardcore with XP, that is going to be twice or three times as bad. When we get to Windows 7 UL, I guarantee it. I guarantee it because there are more things today that are using computers and technology and stuff like that. There are more things today that are doing that than there were 10 years ago when we were back on XP. And so there's going to be even more things. There's going to be air conditioner systems and automation systems and security systems and entry control systems. All that stuff is going to be on 7. Half of it isn't going to work with 10. The stuff that does work with 10, nobody's going to want to spend to upgrade. Windows is a mess. Stay away from Windows. I mean, seriously. Elijah's calling from Idaho. Hey, Elijah, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, no. Okay, so, you know, I work for a wireless internet service provider. Yes, sir. And uh, a guy kept calling us all the time saying, hey, my internet's terrible. Fix it. And we kept telling the guy, no, everything's good on our end. It must be your internal network. So the guy called me up and said, hey, I want you to come up to my house and figure it out. So I go up to his house, and he had uh, a router behind a Wi-Fi router behind a Wi-Fi router. So he had, like, two Wi-Fi routers extending his main Wi-Fi router. Sounds like a great um, he had setup. Like a three, four thousand. Yeah, three, four. You know, three different SSIDs, three different passwords for each one. It was a mess. And not only that, but the uh, the guy had Ethernet cable ran through um, the house when it was built. Except the people did a terrible job, and they didn't label anything, and they used Ethernet cable to do the phone lines as well as the internet, which isn't that big, bad of a deal. Except they didn't label anything. Right. So I ended up getting like. Uh, three Microtik, uh, little Microtik routers, Wi-Fi routers, and a Microtik uh, hex light for his main router. Uh, set it all up. I plugged it all in. And then, so <laughs> he had like a, a little box in this house that was cut out of where everything came into. Mm-hmm. So I yanked it all out, and it was only supposed to be for the internet. Well, then he, he tells me, uh, my phone's not working. So oh, I, had to, I had to troubleshoot every single Ethernet connection that was for phone. I was like, okay, do you have a phone phone line now? Do you have a phone now? And so I had to figure out the phone. And then the killer part of this was, is that he had an ethernet cable going from this box to his, uh, they called it the great room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I plugged, um, I plugged a Wi-Fi router into there and it didn't work. And come to find out, they ran an ethernet cable uh, that, that uh, come to find out the ethernet cable that was going from this, uh, the box to the great room they used it for internet and phone, so they used four, uh, two for the pairs, for no, no, they used two pair for internet, and then they used another two pair for the phone line, and then they spliced another Ethernet cable using only one pair from that great room to their uh, bedroom. <laughs> oh. I was just trying to picture that in my head, and then, and you're trying to figure this out with no documentation, no explanation. The guy has no idea what's going on. He, he's right; doesn't he? Has no idea who even installed the thing. He just knows that his stuff isn't yeah. working. He wants you to figure it out. And by the way, he would have liked you to figure it out ten minutes ago because you're just some idiot from the internet company. What do you know about networking, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he was at the end of the day. He, I mean, it took us pretty much all day to to get this wired up, figured yeah, out. Yeah, I bet it did. At the end of the day, he was really happy, but. I tell you what, the process was like, oh, come on, man. Can't you figure this out? I mean, it was just really annoying. Yeah. Well, th- really annoying. Yeah, I bet. Well, thank you very much for the call. I hate stuff like that. I hate going into businesses where we don't have any documentation of you know what had been done. And you know, and that, and that, that is super frustrating. That's frustrating enough, I should say. But what ends up happening a lot of the times, nine times out of 10, is you wind up uh, having to build these people to figure out what they should have done. And I'll be the first to say, I'll just go on record right now, Speed Technologies, if you hire us to come do structured networking, if we ever work 
for your facility. Now, we've not lost a client since 2009, but and since we went into business. But if, uh, God forbid, the day comes where a client says we want to take our service elsewhere, we will give you a packet full of all the network documentation that you need because we don't believe in vendor lock-in. We want to earn your business day after day, month after month. Eric is calling from Indiana. Hey, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. You know, when you said you were doing a War Stories episode, I laughed and knew that I had to be a part of this. But my biggest problem was deciding which war story I wanted to share tonight. So I finally settled on this one from a few years ago. I was working at a contractor for a company as their only Linux guy out of a team of eight people. And I was only there for about six months. But during that time, I was tasked with doing a hardware refresh and upgrade operating system upgrade from RHEL 6 to RHEL 7 and um, was supporting the database administrators as they upgraded from a single node Oracle database to an Oracle Rack database, a cluster of three or four servers, and and then they were going to upgrade the version of the database itself. If all that wasn't enough, I was working on my master's program. I was the de facto storage guy. I was part of a backup rotation and an on-call rotation. So pretty easy stuff, right? <laughs> um, so as we all do, I had a particular problem child that was on physical hardware running Red Hat AS 2.1. This isn't RHEL, mind you. This isn't Enterprise Linux. This is Advanced Server 2.1. <laughs> and uh, as fate would have it, as my master's program team and I were preparing our final presentation to complete our degree programs, the hardware failed. It was down for two days, and we hardly left the office, and we could not get this thing to boot back up. We tried other components, we tried swapping the hard drive with another server that was fairly identical. We could not get the server to boot. Um, so while we were waiting on uh, some, some parts to come in, we were looking into other options and I had this crazy idea. Well, if we can get it back up and running, let's just P to V the thing. Uh, you know, let's just convert it from physical to virtual. We've got a VMware ESX environment. This, this would be a tiny server, no problem. Well... <laughs> Turns out that even if we could get the hardware resurrected, that our version of ESX didn't actually support Red Hat AS 2.1. The oldest that, the, that our version would support was RHEL uh, 4, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 4. And so we we didn't have any install media for RHEL 4 at the time. I mean, we were, we were getting ready to move to RHEL 7. Um, we couldn't get the physical machine to boot, so we couldn't try and run an in-place upgrade. Um, so what we ended up having to do was we did have several RHEL 4 boxes, and there was a couple of them that were fairly uh, fairly inactive. They had a, a couple of processes left running on them. So what we ended up having to do to solve this issue was we cloned one of those Red Hat boxes, took it off the network, removed all the scripts that were running out of cron, gave it a new MAC address, a new IP address, and a new host name, uh, booted it back up, put it back on the network, and then... Um, did a backup uh, from tapes that we had to order back in from Iron Mountain and wait a couple of days for. And so we basically restored the application and all the data files for this this really, really old web application back onto this RHEL 4 box from a deceased RHEL, uh, Red Hat AS 2.1 server. Uh, needless to say, shortly thereafter, I, I left and found employment elsewhere. But last I heard, our, our uh, Frankenstein machine was still running. Can you believe that? That is an incredible story. I, I, you know, it's, it's it's crazy what you see in the world. And I think all of us that have been there, we have done crazy things and we all learn something. And I really appreciate everyone who called in this episode. A couple of quick things. Run level four is user custom multi-user and run level two is user mode without NFS share. So the chat room was kind enough to correct me on those. Apparently my uh, my Linux knowledge needed some updating. Um, I Just a huge thank you to everyone that was part of this episode that, that called in 
or 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 participated in any way. We really appreciate it. Looks like it was a big hit because we filled the entire hour up with phone calls. So we're going to call this War Stories Part One, and there will be a part two coming up in uh, at some point. A huge thanks to Vox Telsis for giving us our call system, Sarah, our call screener, Ben, our producer, and Rakai, our video editor. I have no idea what's coming up next on the radio because we're not live this time, but uh, this you're listening to Logos Radio on KEQQ 88.3 LPFM Grand Forks.